You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast... Across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. And if you are a regular listener to this uh, radio program, it's coming to you courtesy of the Community Radio Satellite from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. 3CR in Melbourne is an independent, self-funded organisation. Been around for nearly 50 years. And we have subscribers that support us. This week is Subscriber Week. If you want to become a subscriber, it doesn't matter what part of Australia you're listening to this program. It's $40 unwaged, $80 waged. You can either, if you're in Melbourne, you can drop in to the uh, studio during working hours, 9am to 5pm, Monday to Friday. Pay up front. You can ring right now on 039-419-8377. 039-419-8377 or you can pay online if you're that way inclined www.3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe become a subscriber, become part of the 3CR community and subscribers do have a listener sponsor rep on the board of 3CR so unlike other radio stations we're not going to offer you a three toilet paper for the next 12 months just become a subscriber and get involved in the radio station now this is uh, the anarchist world this week if you know what anarchy is all about anarchos without rulers not without rules without rulers very simple that's what anarchos is without rulers What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Inequalities in power and wealth. That's right, inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve, fancy word for share power, possibly through direct democratic means, and to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Exceptionally conservative ideas. All right, let's move on. I'd like to... Look at a few things today, as I usually do. And uh, it's a huge range of topics.
topics, but I'd like to start off with parliamentary democracy on the global back foot. Have you noticed, although this is the year when, uh, you know, more people in the history of the world, possibly the universe, are casting a ballot for a representative system of government based on a parliamentary system, that parliamentary democracy seems to be on the back foot everywhere. Now, the classical definition of democracy is rule of the people, by the people, for the people. That's the classical definition. But I always like to add a fourth element to it. Rule of the people, by the people, for the people, by an engaged public. And that's the key. See, the beauty about representation, as far as those people who own the means of production, distribution, exchange, communication is concerned, it's really no threat to them. Because representation is not about rule of the people, by the people, for the people, by an engaged public. It's about giving somebody a signed blank cheque or whatever they do these days, you know, as far as sign, you know, yeah, give me a password to your account because somehow they're going to do the right thing by you over the next three to four years. Now, parliamentary democracy is on the back foot because it is not delivering results. It is not delivering results to the bulk of people. Irrespective of who seems to be elected into parliament, real power lies in the hands of unaccountable, that's right, unaccountable people who have almost a monopoly on the wealth and power, not just in Australia but around the world. So we go through the charade. There's a democratic election for a president in Indonesia this weekend, and I'll speak about that in a minute, in 10 or 15 minutes. There's a democratic election in Russia where the number of candidates is very limited. There is a there's going to be a democratic election in Iran where again the candidates are limited. A democratic election in Pakistan and the big one, a democratic election in India. And people say, isn't democracy wonderful? Oh, and I forgot about the democratic election in the US of A in November for the president and the Senate and the Congress. So although many, many, many people are casting a ballot, ultimately a representative democracy is not delivering to the bulk of the people. For example, let's look at the little farce we've gone through in the last uh, 12 to 18 months. Interest rates have dramatically increased. People with business loans, mortgages, Renters, these are the people who've actually borne the burden. While, as we saw last week, and as you've heard on this program ad nauseum for the last 47 years, the big end of town, profits increased because we were expected to carry the can. Not the financial sector, 
not the corporations that dominate economic activity, but we were expected to carry the can. So no wonder there is a growing movement towards electing or appointing dictatorial figures who claim they have all the answers. And most of these answers revolve around pointing the finger at the other. person of a different colour, different race, different language, different religion, especially if they're a minority. Now, democracy, rule of the majority, is really irrelevant unless there are constitutional arrangements which protect the individual against the arbitrary exercise of state power. They are irrelevant because the majority could vote to uh, execute two-year-old blue-eyed children because they're the spawn of the devil if there are no constitutional protections. And in order to have real democracy, not representative democracy, what you need is constitutional protections. And in Australia, unfortunately, as far as the Constitution is concerned, we have exceptionally few constitutional protections. You've got the right to freedom of religion. You've got the right to be fairly compensated if the Commonwealth acquires your property. You've got the right not to be discriminated against not because of your race or colour or language or religion, but because of the, where you live in Australia, what state you live in, that's right. And you've got a right to trial by jury for uh, criminal offences, and that's it. No freedom of association, no freedom of assembly, no freedom, no minority rights, and the list goes on and on. So unless you've got a constitutional framework which protects the individual then democracy is nothing more than mob rule. And no wonder parliamentary democracy, as I keep saying, is on the back foot because it is not delivering. You have to look at the elections we have in this country. Who dominates the elections? Is it the small political parties? Is it the Greens? Is it the Labor Party? Not really. It's that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange, communication. Look at the garbage that passes informed consent, especially during an election period in this country. No wonder nothing changes and things seem to get worse. So if you're a great fan of parliamentary democracy, maybe you should think about democracy, what it is, and understand why there's this move towards authoritarian figures who somehow, uh, somehow, by waving a magic wand, will be able to resolve all our problems. We've seen it before. We saw it with Hitler. We saw it with Stalin. We saw it with Pol Pot. We see it all the time. It's extraordinary. And unfortunately, unless we're a little bit more sophisticated as far as what democracy is and how it works and make a difference 
you know, understand the difference between representation and delegation and direct democracy where the people make the decision and then appoint delegates to coordinate those decisions. And those delegates only have limited mandates. Instead of having the, man, the celestial mandate, it's the mandate of the gods to do what you like because of the lack of constitutional protections in this country, limited mandates, delegates. But there's one important thing. The public needs to be engaged. And unfortunately in Australia in 2024, the public is not engaged. It's one thing to be disillusioned. It's another thing to fight back through engagement in the political process, whether it's extra-parliamentary, whether it's parliamentary. The key is engagement. No engagement by the public, no change in policy. Listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. Now, I'm sure you've all been touched by the Taylor Swift phenomenon. Hmm? Look, I don't care how people spend their money. You can spend it gambling. You can spend it on a $1,000 bottle of wine. You can spend it with a sex worker. You can buy a $100 T-shirt from Taylor Swift. It doesn't really matter. I don't care if people are happy to fork out hundreds and thousands of dollars to go to a concert. But I am interested in why this particular entertainer has seemed to have struck a chord with so many people in the Western world, especially in Australia, where I think a million people, of, which is a significant amount, will be going to concerts the next few weeks. Now, to me, Taylor Swift, I'm sure she's a decent human being. I've never met her and never will, and neither will you. I'm sure she's a decent human being who's out there to make a buck, like most decent human beings are. And obviously her uh, method of making a buck is not as, as obnoxious you know, as the fossil fuel industry and many other industries. But what I find fascinating about the interest, in many regards manufactured in interest by the corporate-owned media, is that, to me, Taylor Swift is the perfect avatar. That's right, a perfect avatar for Western, consumer-driven, self-obsessed, self-absorbed society. See, it's all about me, the individual, my feelings, my experiences. It's as if we live in a vacuum. I mean, the Taylor Swift uh, entertainment um, juggernaut, and that's what I call it, an entertainment juggernaut, has been successful in marketing her as a community. And they've created this community 
which obviously it's a community which is based ultimately on, you know, making a buck, which is, yeah, that's the way it goes, making a buck. So this is great, I, feel, I believe there's this great yearning in society, especially in Western society, especially in a self-obsessed, self-absorbed society, where nothing, nothing outside your immediate contacts of friends and family is relevant. There is this great yearning to be part of something else, something greater than yourself. And if it can be marketed in such a way that your self-obsession and your self-absorption and your lack of vision can be incorporated into a family, well then, that's the way it works. Because this is the classical, classical depoliticization of everyday life. It's classically about the individual and their feelings. It's about creating this hysteria around this manufactured community. I mean, it's less dangerous than the uh, community which is, uh, revolves around some dictatorial figure. But in essence, it has the same organisational structures. Now, there are many entertainers in the world, and obviously many are quite successful. And the thing about entertainment is that sometimes entertainment crosses over into everyday life, which is not centred on the individual, but is centred more on a societal view and which changes dynamics, changes relationships within societies. And we see this over and over again. But this phenomenon, this Taylor Swift you know, what I call a Taylor Swift avatar, is the perfect avatar for a Western-driven, a Western consumer-driven, self-obsessed, self-absorbed society. It's tragic, but nobody forces people to do it, except maybe the very vacuousness, the very aimlessness of everyday existence in a consumer-driven society where nothing apart from acquiring goods seems to be the over overriding, um, what's the word, overriding absorption, you know, overriding principle of existence. So if you've got a ticket, Enjoy your experience. But ultimately, it's just that. Another vacuous experience which has emptied out your pockets. Well, we do it with professional sport. We do it with entertainment. As long as there is a buck to be made, we're happy to be involved. 
That's the beauty of a consumer-driven society. Nothing matters except consumption. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, obviously, um, that's all I can say. An avatar. When you see Taylor Swift, think of her as an avatar, the perfect avatar for Western, consumer-driven, self-obsessed, self-absorbed society. I mean, beautiful. Let's move on. Something a bit more more important. See, the carnage continues in Gaza. That's right. Remember that little walk we take every week? Well, it's extended, I think, to almost 30 kilometres. You can now walk 30 kilometres and every metre there's a body of a child, an adult, women, children, old people. And occasionally, if you're really lucky, you can spot a Hamas militant. Because that's the way it goes, isn't it? What do you do? You kill a thousand Palestinians so you can kill one Hamas militant? Now, I know that if you lived in Melbourne yesterday, it wasn't a particularly nice day. If you lived in the uh, southeast, huge storms. I was actually... Uh, in you know, part of that. I didn't create the storms, I just found myself. And it was quite fascinating to see trees uprooted and smashing against parked cars and uh, and factories and homes. And I was thinking to myself, it's unpleasant. As I speak, there are all, I think, still a quarter of a million people in Melbourne who have, haven't been able to be reconnected to the electricity supply because of the destruction of towers down at um, down near the power stations. And I'm thinking, well, it is a little bit unpleasant, isn't it? It is unpleasant for those involved. And it can be very costly if you don't have insurance, and even if you have insurance, God only knows how difficult it is for them to pay up. But let's go back to Gaza. They've been invaded since the 7th of October 2023. That's what, four months now? That's four months. Now, Gaza is about the size, about a third the size of Melbourne, and I think half the size, or almost the size of Canberra. Small enclave, 2.5 million people. I think in 2006 they elected a government. That's right, they had elections. Let's not forget, because you see, that's the great thing about parliamentary elections. Sometimes you elect the wrong people and the people around you are unhappy. So when the Hamas was elected into power in Gaza by the citizens of Gaza, the Israeli state placed a blockade on this little enclave of 2.5 million people and they've lived a pretty miserable life and when they broke out on the 7th of October there were deaths over 1,200 Israelis were killed hostages were taken and everybody thinks that everything started on the 7th of October 2023 well obviously there's a 75 year history to this occupation so we saw the Israeli state 
in the name of self-defence declare war on Gaza. Now, the Israeli state is a highly militarised state and currently it is led by a government that is fascist in nature. It's a fascist government. It may hide behind religion, but it's a fascist government. And what we are seeing in Gaza is the type of behaviour you'd expect from a fascist government. So what we are seeing is war criminals, that's right, masquerading as parliamentary representatives conducting this military uh, campaign on behalf of the Israeli people, you know, or most of them. Not all of them, but most of them. The carnage continues. Extraordinary. When you compare it to what I went through, you know, half a million Melbournians went through yesterday, we went through nothing. Bombing, deaths, writing the name of your children on, your, on their legs, their name, maybe a telephone number. I assume it doesn't exist anymore. In case they get blown to bits or get dislocated in terms of uh, from their family, so at least somebody knows who they are. And look at the wholesale destruction. Northern Gaza, central Gaza, and now we're moving into southern Gaza, where about 1.5 million people are just living a day-to-day existence. Blown to bits, hospitals, mosques, community centres, all in the name of the defence of the Israeli state. Now, look, I may be stupid, you know, for being concerned, very concerned of what's happening to the people, the Palestinians in Gaza. I know the rest of the world isn't that concerned. They're so frightened of uh, the Israeli state and their uh, backers, the United States, that uh, they're all going tut-tut, passing resolutions, which really have no impact on what's actually happening. It's as if the world has averted its, its eyes from Gaza. The United Nations does what it can. But again, falling for the propaganda which comes out of the Israeli state, we see... A number of states removed what little economic support that was being provided to Palestinians. Now, you think about it. Maybe you're involved in the little hiccup we saw in Melbourne yesterday. The uprooted trees, the damaged houses, the damaged factories, the damaged roads. But think about your whole house being bombed your neighbourhood being razed, your neighbour being killed, your hospitals being bombed and closed down, the amount of food and energy grossly limited, water limited. Now, obviously, the Israeli state has been a little bit concerned about the amount of resistance it has had to face in Gaza and hundreds I'm not sure the exact number of Israeli troops have now died, many of them conscripts. 
in this struggle. And that struggle's not over. And it may continue for a few more months, or another six months. But the dilemma is, this is the best way to ensure the ultimate destruction of the Israeli state. Because the hatred which is building up in the hearts of the young, and remember over 50% of Gazans are under 15, that's why so many are dying, the hatred that is building up in their breasts, irrespective of the military victory that the Israeli army will eventually have in Gaza, will never provide security. So instead of the West sitting on its fingers, or China or Russia sitting on its hands, refusing to intervene, although the United Nations has called for intervention over and over and over again, one little thing we can do in Australia, apart from being involved in the ritualised Sunday gatherings, is to demand that the Israeli ambassador be expelled from this country. A number of countries around the world have already expelled their Israeli ambassadors because they're shocked by what's happening in Gaza. We saw South Africa take Israel to the world court. The fact is, it's us that will make a difference, ultimately. And instead of sitting on our fingers or marching till our, we're tired, I think it's time that the, the government of the day was subjected to a campaign to have the Israeli ambassador expelled until the carnage ceases. Because it, this is not a war. People think the Hamas-Israeli war, all right? On one side, you've got sophisticated aircraft, you've got sophisticated missiles, bombs of the most beautiful killing machines in the world, supposedly to have pinpoint accuracy, but doesn't seem to be. What is it, 100 Gaza, 100 Palestinians killed for every Hamas militant? Or is it a 1,000? Who knows? Occasionally I see the Israeli army say, oh, we've killed two militants today. Hmm. Well, all I can say is it's time we took political action. Our government was forced to take political action. If it doesn't take political action, the atrocities which are continuing will continue. I mean, if you think North Korea is a pariah state, I can assure you the Israeli state is on a par with the North Korean state in terms of authoritarianism and damage. This is the greatest damage that's occurred to a people in the 21st century. What's happening in Gaza pales into insignificance than what's happening to the Ukraine. Could you imagine the outcry if the capital, Kiev, was totally destroyed indiscriminately by the Russians? Could you imagine the outcry especially in the West and especially in, by NATO and the United States. Could you imagine the outcry? 
if the same atrocities were being committed by the Chinese somewhere in their territory. Could you imagine the outcry for intervention? So I think this particular carnage, I won't use the word war, this particular carnage which is occurring in Gaza highlights the hypocrisy of the West. It highlights the hypocrisy of parliamentary democracy in terms of providing security. I mean, obviously, Hamas was responsible for the death of over 1,200 Israelis, and obviously, Hamas was responsible for kidnapping over 300 Israelis and taking them into Gaza. But there is a history behind that, and we need to understand that history. And you think what happened in southern Israel on the 7th of October 2023 is the worst it can get. The fact is that what's happening in Gaza is creating a new generation of militants who will show no mercy. That's the reality. Security doesn't come from overwhelming force. Security comes from negotiation. That's what it comes from, not overwhelming force. Overwhelming force only works for a limited period of time. So, a little bit of homework. Write. Don't email. Don't phone. Don't listen. Write to the Prime Minister's office asking for the Israeli ambassador to be expelled until the carnage ceases in Gaza. It's a simple thing you can do. It's and and and, and it raises what it does is it raises it, it changes the debate. Because then we're on the front foot. Other countries have expelled their ambassadors. We can expel their ambassador, although theoretically we're one of their primary allies. Listen to the Anarchist World this week. Broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Descartes. Look, if you're interested in these ideas, you can... Uh, it's a YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, you can look at. Uh, there's other YouTube channels, josephdoscana.nam, uh, just in case you're interested in history and how it repeats itself. That's where the word revolution comes from. It revolves. History repeats itself. I'll be doing a nine-part series on political prisoners in Australia. What you say? Well, you may find this hard to believe, but in 17, between 1788 and 1868, during the uh, penal period of our history, this country's history, during the penal period, which was based on three concepts, genocide, free land and free labour, over 3,500 political prisoners from England or Great Britain were sent to Australia. There are nine different groups, and I'll be looking at each group. Because, see, Australia, for the British Empire, was their Guantanamo Bay. You send them here. The first group I'll be looking at is uh, five Scottish martyrs which arrived in uh, Botany Bay in 1795. 
for sedition, for daring to suggest, daring to suggest that changes needed to be made to the constitution, because although they had a representative democracy, it was actually a very limited mandate. And I'll be looking at the lives and the of Thomas Muir, Thomas Palmer, who was a Unitarian minister, um, Maurice Magarot, Joseph Gerard, and William Scurvy. Uh, they were all sent here f- for 14 years in the majority of cases for having the for um, having the audacity to call a convention of societies for the people in Edinburgh in 1792. Let's move on. Now, wouldn't it be nice? You know, I, I still work at part-time and I do a lot of driving through Melbourne town and it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And you see things, you know, you see things, you hear things and, you know... And you go to some suburbs and the kids say, oh, it's hot, Mum, can I have an ice cream? Mum says, oh, no, sorry, can't afford it this week. Then I go to another suburb and they're lining up and the, and the kids say, Mum, can I have an ice cream? And Mum says, of course, what flavour do you want? Hmm? Wouldn't it be nice if everybody had that capacity? Now... I know I I harp on this, but I cannot believe, I cannot believe we have a private charity, the Smith family, asking Australians to donate money to send Australian children to public schools. And when you realise there's over a million children living in poverty in this country from a population of 26 million, you begin to understand how difficult things are for so many. And that little analogy of kids wanting an ice cream because it's a hot day and the fact their parents can't afford it highlights what's happening. And I do notice that in the advertisement it's all about Australian children and obviously this is a very 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 rich country in comparison to many other countries we do have billionaires and multi-millionaires and we do have laws which give people tax deductions if they own more than one home and if they own shares you know we've got all these wonderful laws to assist the investment class and as I travel around the city I do notice the difference you know, in housing stock around the city of Melbourne and around Australia. And you wonder to yourself, how have we come to this state? How have we come to this state that we have private charities raising money for all types of things which should be provided by governments? And the governments keep telling us, we don't have enough resources. We don't have enough resources. Now, I know there are people listening who think, you know, that the government can create the money and it goes on, but I won't go into that today. But the fact is, we do have enough resources. The problem is that wealth is concentrated in fewer and fewer hands. That is the reality. That 
is the reality. That's why we have poverty. Not because people are drug addicts or drunk all the time. We have structural inequalities. And these structural inequalities seem not to be able to be addressed through Parliament. Because the only legislation which seems to go through Parliament is legislation which protects and extends the power and influence of that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And when you have a media which peddles the same garbage day after day in a variety of forms, you begin to understand why it's so difficult to generate change. And when you see the Taylor Swifts of the world, and I'm talking not just about entertainers, but sporting fixtures, you know, there's an ad nauseum of sporting fixtures every day. And all the ways we're distracted from being engaged in the democratic process, you begin to understand why we're so self-obsessed and so self-absorbed and why consumerism has become our religion. Consumption is our religion and we're willing, willing to give up our freedom. And we're not talking about freedom, our freedom to be able to make decisions to a financial sector which controls us for generations, well, you know, decades, so we have a roof over our head. And we've got to such a ridiculous situation that you can't even get a roof over your head and, you know, unless you pay extraordinary amounts of, of your income for rent. And again, it's the same story over, 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 over again. I, I, I tell every week. But again, there are so many distractions. We're all told it's our problem. We're personally responsible. It's the defects in our character. It's us. We are never told. Maybe it's an institutional problem or a structural problem. Maybe it's a problem with the type of parliamentary democracy we have. Maybe it's a problem with us allowing so few people to acquire so much wealth at the expense of the majority. You know, maybe it's our problem because we cannot, as a people, seem to move away from this self-obsessed, self-absorbed society we've become. I'll give you an example. Uh, when all this carnage was happening in Melbourne yesterday, well, the word's not carnage, a little bit of natural disaster, human, human encouraged, obviously, and um, I got an SMS from somebody who said, bloody grannies, it's all their fault. All their fault. We got no electricity. Well, it seemed that collapsing towers, tearing power lines was the problem, not the bloody greenies. It's always somebody else is the problem, isn't it? And that's the key about democracy. It's rule of the people, by the people, for the people, by an engaged public. And if we are not engaged in the political process, and the political process is the decisions which affect us every day and we're just happy to sit in the background and wave our Taylor Swift, somebody should do something about that, you know, um, membership card or 
you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, well, obviously nothing changes. It is an age of circuses. It is an age of distractions. But we need to look beyond that because we are part of a community. We are not isolated individuals and every problem which we face is our, you know, because it's our problem. It's not. It's a community problem. Let's move on. It was interesting yesterday again, as I said, half a million people from a population of over five million in the city of Melbourne, no power. No power. And it's fascinating to see how the new renewable energy structures are being developed. And all we're doing is we, we are, as a people, we are replicating the same failed institutional structures. It's all about centralisation, creating huge solar farms, creating hydroelectric um, you know, projects, wind farms that go on for kilometres, it's about centralisation, whether it's fossil fuel, whether it's renewable, it seems we are replicating the same structures. The difference is that a centralised energy system is very prone to failure. And when that failure occurs because of natural disasters or it occurs because of, you know, uh, human problems, it has a profound impact on society. We now have an energy system, a renewable energy system, which can easily be centralised. Easily centralised. So if transmission lines fall in one place, it doesn't mean that so many people are deprived of energy simultaneously. Because these decentralised energy systems can and do provide energy for a limited geographical region. So if something fails, it only fails in that limited geographical region. So we really need... We really need to look at what's happening with the renewable energy sector. We are replicating the past. We are creating privately owned and many of the same companies that are involved in the fossil fuel industry are now involved in the renewable energy system. Privately owned, centralised energy systems. And privately owned, centralised energy systems are the very energy systems which create the problems we saw yesterday. Think about it. Why do we have to replicate the same economic model time and time again? Why are we so keen to centralise power in fewer and fewer hands? So keen to centralise wealth in fewer and fewer hands? Why don't we have the institutional structures which move towards decentralisation and self-sufficiency. Think about it.
it's it's really in many regards it's the way you think about people why you think about things i mean you can think about things as an individual a self-obsessed self-absorbed consumer-driven individual you can think about things as a as a wider member of society you can think about things about whether it's in the hands of a few people or things are centralized whether it's power or wealth or whether it's decentralized and anarchism is about decentralization it's about sharing power it's about holding wealth in common it's about ensuring that everybody can have that ice cream on that hot day, not just those with the disposal income. Think about it. Now, while I speak, there are big rallies in Indonesia. Indonesia, one of the, I think, is the fourth most populous country in the world, 76 kilometres from our border, involved in a war of destruction and colonisation in West Papua for the last 60 years, which has resulted in the deaths of over 500,000 West Papuans. We've now got the situation where the indigenous population is a little bit less than the Indonesian population, which has been brought across with the promise of free land, which obviously was stolen from the West Papuans. And as we know, the West Papuan independence movement continues to flourish. Continues to flourish. And I'm very proud and that's the key word to say, I'm convener of the West Papuan Rent Collective in Melbourne. And what the Rent Collective has done over the last nine years is ensure that the West Papuan Independence Movement has an office which can coordinate that struggle. And that office has been supported by ordinary people, pensioners, elderly people, people on limited income, it's not often we get people with a bit of money. And they've been able to pay the rent on that office to allow the West Papuans to conduct the struggle in the best way they see fit. So I find it a little bit ironical that the presidential election this weekend will most likely be won by a war criminal. That's right. We don't just have war criminals in Israel. We have war criminals in the West. And let's not forget one of the greatest war criminals of all time, Henry Kissinger, died at the ripe old age of 101, I think, a year ago. So there are war criminals amongst us. And the good thing, the, the fascinating thing is war criminals tend to prosper. That's right. They prosper. Unbelievable, isn't it? They prosper. You know? They prosper. So here we have a war criminal who will be elected as the next president of, the, of Indonesia, possibly in a landslide. And this is our nearest neighbour. And we're relying on Uncle Sam to look after us. Think about it. Think about it. I mean, what's the point I've been involved as the closest ally and have our military industrial complex integrated into the US complex when to fight other people's wars in other countries when we have our own issues regarding our closest neighbour. How about the War of Independence in West Papua? I've noticed 
Week after week after week after week after week, the word West Papua is never used in case we upset our neighbour. So it will be interesting times because the Indonesian president is elected for five years. Now, obviously, the current president is trying to create a dynasty like in North Korea because his son is standing as the deputy president and they hope that this dream team of a war criminal involved, you know, in atrocious crimes in East Timor and West Papua, plus the uh, current president's son, will have a dream team and they'll be elected by 50% of the vote this weekend. So you see how parliamentary democracy has been usurped across the world. In India, we will see the election of a Hindu nationalist government, which is passing authoritarian legislation to ostracise minorities. In Russia, we see some dictator who thinks himself that he's, uh, you know, the 21st century Napoleon. In China, we have you know, one of the most powerful dictators on the planet. But the key, the key is, ultimately, is us. Because we are the people we've been waiting for. That's right, we. It's not our religious leaders, it's not our secular leaders, it's not our Taylor Swifts, it's not our Elvis Presleys, or the latest, you know, sporting superstar or the Super Bowl or the AFL Grand Final. It's not that. It's we. We are part of a community. We are part of a society. And it's time that we moved away from this self-obsessed, self-absorbed, consumer-driven society which we are all part of. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station Courtesy of the Community Radio Network, this program has been coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. YouTube channels. Public interest before corporate interest, justoscano.nam. Pipsy, webpage, pibci.net. You can join online. Don't forget, next Wednesday at the Footscray Hotel, 48 Hopkins Street in Footscray in Melbourne, I'll be doing a presentation, 6.30pm, 7pm start, on the Scottish martyrs who were transported to Australia in 1795. Three and a half thousand political prisoners over a 60-year period were transported to this country. Almost um, 5% of the prisoners sent here. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of 3CR in Melbourne. And don't forget the 3CR subscriber drive. Ring now, 039 419 8377. Listen in next week to The Anarchist World this week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death
death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist Wall this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist Wall this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger! a 3CR subscriber? We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. It helps us remain financially independent and is an important part of our community governance. It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, $150 for a band or organisation and $300 solidarity. Become a 3CR subscriber today. 3CR Radical Radio. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.